Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. Today, we welcome Greg Butcher, who's an experienced real estate investor. He's originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and after graduating with his bachelor's degree, he served a distinguished career as a combat engineer in the U.S. Marine Corps, retiring as lieutenant colonel in 2015 and earning his MBA along the way. His career focused on project management, construction planning, leadership, and decision-making in crisis environments and included multiple deployments, including Iraq and Afghanistan. He began investing in single-family homes in 2006, but didn't find them to be scalable. His aha moment was learning about the power of syndications and the scalability of multifamily real estate in the apartment space. While preparing to retire from active duty in 2015, he joined Brad Sumrick's Apartment Investor Mastery Program, a leading national multifamily educational and mentoring program. This gave him the education and network to begin investing passively in multifamily real estate syndications, and then to sponsor them to create financial and time freedom for his, him and his family. We welcome Greg to the show. Well, welcome back. This is Dean Van Dyke with From Battle to Business. And today I'm excited to welcome Greg Butcher from Blue Sky Equity Partners. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Dean. Great to be here. Awesome. So in 60 seconds or less, tell us who Greg is. Yeah, so um, I was in the Marine Corps for almost 20 years, uh, retired in 2015, and I had uh, been trying to figure out how to make uh, real estate investing more scalable while I was on active duty. I was investing in single family homes at the time because that was all I knew. And then mm -hmm. just before I retired, I figured, found out about uh, investing in apartments and about the power of syndications which is nothing fancier than just a group purchase where people pool their money and invest in a property together. It's larger than what any of them could, could afford on their own. Um, so I have made a business out of that. I, I did it part-time for a while while I was still working as a defense contractor after I retired. Now I've left that behind and I'm doing this full-time. So um, our business, basically, we, we simplify investing in commercial real estate um, so that veterans and patriots can grow their wealth with confidence um, and leave the hard work to us. Nice. Congratulations. Uh, not only in your retirement from Marine Corps, uh, I had 20 years. Is that what you said? Uh, almost 20. I, I took the I'm early sorry. retirement they were offering a couple of years ago. So it was a little over 18, actually. Nice. So how, so harkening back to the Marine Corps, how did that shape um, who you are today? Uh, I mean, spending 18 years in the Marine Corps, uh, and I'm sure you served in various theaters and overseas. Uh, how did that shape who you are today? Yeah, well, um, I'm sure that it's uh, it would be no surprise to your your audience, uh, Dean. But um, you know, a lot of it has been just the attention to detail, uh, the diligence, uh, the care, the uh, the in, the personal investment. Uh, that I put into everything I do, um, as well as the the integrity and personal responsibility that I feel uh, for all the projects that I work on. Nice. Well, I still I see you still got the short haircut, so it's, uh, 
I grew it long for the first year or so. I think everyone did, did but uh, longer, not still not long, but uh, eventually I just realized that nice and short and neat is probably better for me. <laughs> well, other than the facial hair, I think you'd pass inspection. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Awesome. Okay. So, so you got started with single family homes and then it sounds like you had an epiphany about, you know, multifamily. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, with single family homes, there's a lot of uh, headwinds that you're that you're going into. Um, even if you hire a property management company, the rate is not cheap for single family homes. The quality of property management that you get is pretty poor compared to with the professional management that you get with apartment buildings. Um, so you're going to have to be doing some work no matter what. You know, I, I mm -hmm. Uh, had a couple of properties on the East Coast, and then I moved to Germany for a few years. Cool. And I wasn't trying to get any more properties while I was there, but just even keeping up with things could prove to be, you know, through email, proved to be difficult when I couldn't go see my property and see the condition. Right. And from there, I moved to the West Coast, so it didn't get any better then either. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. With, with multifamily, um, really, you get a lot better economies of scale. Uh, the property management is much more professional as well as more affordable. It's much a, a lower percentage of the mm -hmm. overall income that comes in. Um, and as well as with a single family home, uh, I'm either 100% occupied or I'm 0% occupied. You know, it's either sure. either the money's there to pay the, pay the mortgage or there's no more money to pay the mortgage and I'm digging into my bank account. So with a 100 unit apartment building, um, if I'm 95% uh, or even 90% uh, occupied uh, with 5 or 10% vacancy, well, that's still plenty of money to pay all the expenses mm -hmm. for the property and as well as paying the debt service on the loan. Um, and still have cash flow left over for investors for the for the most part. Nice. So the it's funny you bring that up about you know single family because we uh, my bride and I had a similar situation. We were fifteen hundred miles away trying to manage a property, trying to find somebody to help manage it, and it just turned into a it was a college town. So it wasn't hard to find renters, but the renter quality was questionable. Um, and uh, now my son is my oldest son that we talked about uh, before the show is dealing with it. Uh, he bought a house in Germany before he left. And I'm oh, like, well. okay, well, he loves, you know, he, <clears throat> um, where he was stationed in Germany um, at Rose Army Barracks at, near Vilsack. He loved the area so much that he's, you know, I think for him, it was, he loves Europe. He loves Germany. And uh, he knows that the the only folks that can rent that, are, well, actually the military does it, but uh, is officers. So from a, you know, from a maturity perspective, I think he's okay, but it's still, you're right. If he has nobody in the house, it's, you know, he's paying the mortgage yeah. on that thing. So um, exactly. Well, that's, that's an interesting way to get started. I mean, single family homes and then, you know, moving up to multifamily, um, you know, what are some of the impacts that you've noticed with, uh, or, you know, maybe it hasn't been that big of an impact on the commercial side, but the interest rates, you know, that have been hiked um, with the potential, another increase in, uh, in October, what's the impact on the commercial side? 
Yeah, so it's been an impact on uh, properties that, that were already under ownership, um, and it's been a, an impact on the ability to get new acquisitions, new 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 uh, apartments, new buildings. Um, so on the as far as the existing property side, um, if you were financed with fixed rate debt beforehand, uh, then generally speaking, you're you're you should be okay. Um, right. The properties that I have that were financed with fixed rate debt beforehand, they're doing fantastic. We're still putting out you know double digit uh, you know, cash on cash returns to our investors. Um, the ones that were financed with floating rate uh, loans. That can be another problem. Um, that can be that's that's another story uh, because the interest rates jumped tremendously. Now, right. most people who had floating rate loans uh, purchased what's called a rate cap. It's got basically an insurance policy in a, in a way um, that keeps the interest rate from going too high, where it really just reimburses them. So you just have to manage your okay. cash flow because you still got to make the whole interest uh, payment to the bank, but then you get reimbursed from the uh, the, the rate cap policy. Um, but so, you know, those those have become uh, exceedingly more expensive, like 10 mm -hmm. times more expensive. And a lot of them, that that especially cost uh, caught a lot of investors by surprise. Um, so that has has caused um, deal some deals that uh, with floating rate loans that were that, you know people bought before the rate the rate started mm -hmm. hiking. Uh, to have to stop distributions to the investors, and they're just trying to hold on and and make sure they can cash flow, so that eventually they can sell uh, for for profit uh, or you know uh, later on down the road. Wow! So, so I was uh, interesting. I mean, that's that's uh, you know, so that's similar because was it 08 when the market crashed with the uh, adjustable rate mortgages on the residential side? So it's similar to what happened there. I mean, there are a lot of homeowners underwater and interest rates going through the roof. So, so that's interesting. So the, I was reading in a, um, a study done by PricewaterhouseCoopers and how many, so when you go in to purchase a property, uh, how many people are actually looking at that property to purchase it? Is it, do you still, are you still in a bidding war or is it more, is it kind of normalized a little bit and slowed down? Yeah, well, that's the other part of the equation I was just about to get to also is um, as far as new acquisitions, the impact on new acquisitions. So uh, it has slowed down the, the number of properties that are being sold right now, because okay. basically while pricing is down, like the, 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 the interest rates going up uh, pushes the pricing down. Um, so uh, because of that, people who already own properties, the game is don't have to sell. Don't be forced to sell while the pricing is low. Just hold on, just like just like the single-family homes they have in the East Coast. I, I call them my learning properties. Um, I bought them a couple of years before the crash in 08, and then I moved to Germany, and the crash happened, and I realized that I was upside down in those houses. But wow. as long as I could cash flow and I didn't have to, wasn't forced into uh, refinancing or selling anytime soon, then I was okay. And the same thing kind of applies right now. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So the, I mean, the... <clears throat> So the interest rates, you know, to, you know, pushing the prices down, folks wanting to hold versus sell. Um, and I mean, that's, you know, that really is important to know. And it sounds like you've, um, 
was it through the trials and tribulations of single family investment that you've learned this or did you have some kind of special training? No, I actually joined a uh, an educational and mentorship program about all this right as I retired off of active duty. So okay. um, I've been studying this everywhere I could uh, from from this one uh, mentoring program. Now I'm coaching for another mentoring program. I talked to so many people, it's unbelievable about all these things, whether it's brokers, other property owners who are more experienced than me, um, and really try to absorb all everyone's opinions on on what's going on. Uh, and over the course of the years, I've been able to start forming my own opinions on things as well. Um, the first couple of years I was doing this, so my, my very first year doing this, and from 2015 to 16, while I was going through mm-hmm. the, the coursework and the program I was in, uh, all I did was invest passively, um, in, like my investors do right now, um, for the most part. Um, so I was investing as a limited partner uh, or passive investor in projects that other people were putting together. Um, yeah. And then in 2016, I started, I, I got into my first deal as a general partner, where I was one of the ones that helped put it together in the first place, uh, which can be a lot more lucrative, but is a lot more responsibility and a lot more work mm-hmm. too. Um, so as I I look back at how we managed that property then, and I kind of chuckled because we really truly didn't know exactly how to manage the property correctly then. Um, I've My knowledge about asset management has come a heck of a long way um, mm-hmm. since then. So um, yeah, now, now we're in a position back then we were in an inflating market where um, you didn't, no one is really talking much about asset management. You just buy, hold it for a few years and sell a few years later and the pricing had increased and you made a killing mm-hmm. uh, and everyone's fat and happy. But now times have gotten lean and asset management and the ability to manage the property manager um, and really squeeze every, every nickel out of a property that you can uh, can be the, the difference between a property, uh, the property's business plan being uh, a, a big success or, you know, kind of scraping by. Oh, wow. Okay. So <clears throat> interesting um, how you've, you know, transitioned, so to speak. I mean, you've, um, so if someone's, so you said you start, you were a passive investor and it sounds like that's what um, you help folks get started with this. Um how how does someone get started passively investing uh, the way you did? Yeah, well, first off is is getting educated, and there's a number of ways to do that. There are some good books out there. There are education programs like when I went through. But frankly, I don't think it takes an education program just to learn to invest passively. To be mm-hmm. to invest actively as a general partner, yes, but not to invest passively. So it's really a matter of knowing those, uh, knowing people who do this, knowing general partners like myself. Um, mm-hmm. who, who who are also called sponsors, who offer these kinds of projects um, out there. So th- this is how um, this is kind of, this is how the wealthy invest uh, in in private placement offerings like this. Uh, and it's one of those things that you know the, the majority of the public probably doesn't know too much about um, mm-hmm. because the SEC has kind of sheltered them from it. So, oh, interesting. Okay, so in order so. Um... Lost my train of thought. Um, let me try that again. That um, was me all the so, time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I keep getting told it's the it's the gray stuff on the side of my head. Um, so I, I was listening to you. You were being interviewed on a podcast. I don't remember which one it was, but and you mentioned something about a buy box. Tell us what a, tell us what that is or what it means. Oh yeah, um, a buy box is just like what the criteria are that that you're looking for in a new acquisition. 
Um, so like for me, I'm looking for properties in certain markets, mostly in Arizona, uh, is that's where I personally search for, but I would participate. Okay. I would, if someone else found a property that in another market, that was a strong market, um, that, that, that I might participate in it. So first off, it has to be the market that has to meet my criteria. And then the property itself has to be in, you know, a, a, a good, a, a decent part of town, um, okay. with strong fundamentals behind it. Um, where it is uh, right now I'm looking for basically 1980s and newer properties uh, for a few different reasons. Uh, I'm looking for a uh, not a brand new construction like 2020 or newer or 20, even 2015 or newer property. Uh, that's what we would call class A, but I'm looking for something that's more like uh, anywhere between the 80s and 2010. So, uh, you know, the 80s, maybe 90s, we might, you might call that roughly a, a class C uh, or '90s and 2000s might be a, a class B, a little more upscale. Class C is more workforce housing. Uh, class B is uh, is more, you know, a mix of blue and white collar kind of thing. I, you know, I think of the movie Office Space and, and where they, the apartments they lived in. Uh, you know, in, in that movie. So, awesome movie. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it is a great movie. <laughs> a lot of lessons in that movie too. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, criteria for as far as the property itself, physical criteria. Like, I don't want to buy any buildings that have a boiler chiller. I've done that once. I, I won't do it again. Mm. I want individual utilities, uh, individual metered for electric, um, and then being uh, able to qualify for certain loan parameters also. So Okay. So, if you, um, so being a veteran, so have you leveraged different, SBA type programs for what you do, or is it more, um, yeah. So have you leveraged those SBA programs that are specific for veterans or don't they apply? I, I have not, I don't believe they apply for this kind of thing. Okay. Although I am, I am, uh, researching at least getting, uh, you know, the veterans own small business certification. That is something mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm researching right now. I just haven't gotten through all the steps of it yet. Um, so that I can put that on my website and everything and, and give people a better feeling of comfort. Um, so, but other than that, no, it, it doesn't typically apply to this kind of business because I don't have uh, any kind of goods sold or services sold. Um, you oh, know, sure. people aren't really, you know, we, they, they are investing into a, uh, a new LLC that we are forming uh, to with all of the other uh, investors in the project to buy an apartment building. And it's a it's a single purpose entity um, just for for nothing else. So just because oh, they're, right. we're talking about different entities like that, then I don't think the SBA programs would apply there. They would not now that I know that piece of information. Um, <laughs> so so what are the so you mentioned Arizona. Uh, is is the Phoenix area hot market or is it more a, 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 like a tier two type city in Arizona? That's more of the where you're looking. Yeah. So Phoenix is the the, the primary market in Arizona. Um, and up through uh, about a year ago, um, it was one of the hottest markets in the country. Um, oh. It had it had uh, in, in 21 to the beginning of 22, it had. 27% uh, year-over-year rent growth. Um, rent growth is, uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's one of those things where it, that's rough on tenants. Um, 
so but it, it's it's good for investors because it's growing our income growing our, our net operating mm-hmm. income which grows our property value uh so that we can sell for profit later on um we don't do any kind of rate hikes that are any more than what the market is doing anyway but some who any owner of that property is going to be doing rate hikes at least and keep it with the market so we basically have to, have to do the same thing we try mm-hmm. to work with tenants any way we can in the process um, but it's, that's just kind of the way the business works. So kind of tough for blue collar workers to sustain that kind of a, those rate hikes. I mean, that's, that's tough. It, it is, it is. And, uh, you know, we, um, we always work and make sure our property management companies are working with them, providing information, ways mm-hmm. to get, uh, you know, housing assistance and, and different programs that are out there. Um, for not not necessarily like Section Eight housing assistance, but uh, different programs that can that can help out with things like that, whether it be churches or anything like that. Um, there are things like that out there. So, um, bottom line is Phoenix would, experienced a huge boom for six seven years, and mm-hmm. now because of that, as strong as that boom was, it's taking a tiny little bit of a dip right now. Um, and so, but I do believe this very short lived all the, uh, the fundamentals of strong population growth, strong job growth, uh, industry diversification, much more so than it was back in 2008. Um, sure. you know, all those, all those things are really in Phoenix's favor and the policies of the state that I live in right now, California, uh, help ensure that they help ensure the population flow keeps on going to Arizona and Texas and Florida and some other places like that. So, um, <laughs> yeah that's a topic for anyway. another day <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well all i'm saying is people keep on going that direction so yeah that's, um, uh... tucson is another interesting market and uh in tucson is it's a smaller market uh than mm-hmm. than phoenix is definitely more of a secondary market um but it's still large enough to be a, a real contender and it's more um the it's more of the the slow and steady uh competitor you know, it, it doesn't have the volatility of Phoenix. It didn't. The prices didn't get as the rent growth didn't get as high in Tucson okay. as it did in Phoenix, but it was still strong, uh, very strong actually. And uh, and now that uh, rent has actually receded just a tiny bit in Phoenix, that's not happening in Tucson. The rent growth is stabilized to like at normal levels now. So at the, what what you would expect, like in the two to three percent range. Okay. What um. What are some of the other hot markets? You mentioned Texas. Is that is that a decent market for investment in uh, commercial real estate like that? Yeah, absolutely. The Dallas Fort Worth market, especially, has been kind of the the mecca of uh, of apartments uh, for for quite a long time now, and it, and it still is. Um, you know, everything that I've seen, I, and I, I have some apartments there. I've invested some there. I don't know that market as well as I do, mm-hmm. um, in Arizona, although it's closer to where I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, so, uh, you know, the Dallas has been huge the last few years. Now it's getting a lot of new construct, so much new construction that's putting some downward pressure on the pricing, keeping it from, okay. from increasing a whole, a whole lot right now. So now suddenly Fort Worth is starting to to uh, be the hottest, the hot part of that, uh, the, the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Interesting. So the um, so with that type of uh, it sounds like there's some pretty key areas to for those types of investments. And is that what I'm hearing? Uh, there are there there is a large there's a quite a few great markets in the United States. Uh, they have been more in the Sun Belt. 
right now, just like Phoenix, the Sun Belt had grew so fast over the last couple of years that the growth has slowed down. And actually, mm-hmm. some Midwestern markets that I'm not involved in, uh, in Ohio, Indiana, Kansas City, some of those are actually taking the forefront. Uh, you know, will will that last for a long time? I, I don't have a crystal ball, so I, I can't see that. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly, some of those Sun Belt markets, I do feel like long term, the, the, the fundamentals are there. So. Well, I know the I've got a client that's in Tennessee and there's a lot of folks moving to Tennessee as well, which I think is um, it's interesting. But so the so it sounds like, uh, you know, we lived in the <clears throat> Sun Belt for well, my yeah, for about half of my tour in the Navy. And uh, I, I mean, it was it it, it was it wasn't booming at that time. Now what was booming was the casinos, unfortunately, but, uh, um, the, uh, so to get, so we, we, we touched on how to get started in this is the, um, and you mentioned veterans, current military members, um, is what you're doing designed for folks that are still on active duty as well as folks that have left active duty. Is that, did I read that correctly in your website? It, it certainly can be absolutely. Now there there is a certain entry threshold on, on a lot of the projects, and it's mm. not the same on each one. Um, so that especially like the more junior folks that might not be appropriate, but folks that are are, are getting closer to their own, uh, certainly um, it might might be in their wheelhouse depending on uh, you know how much they have to invest in in, in their own uh, you know uh, risk tolerance. Um, so. You know, a lot of people um, want to invest in projects like these um, because, you know, maybe maybe they have they've had got a lot of their money in the stock market, whether, you know, just their brokerage account or uh, for a savings plan or whatnot uh, or in, in you know, uh, different things. Or if they've gotten out of the military, you know, their 401k, um, but they're concerned about the volatility of the stock market and they kind of want to reduce their exposure there and diversify some. Um, others are playing catch up with the retirement plans, um, and they need some kind of higher returns, uh, something mm-hmm. that gives higher returns than what the stock market does. And this usually does that exactly. I mean, we look for deals where, um, we can roughly expect to double people's investments within about a five-year time horizon. Okay. So, That's a pretty good um, rate of return. Yeah. And so, and then some, a lot of people just know that, that real estate has been one of the, the best ways, um, in history to, uh, to build wealth, but they just don't want to put the time in, into being a landlord. They don't want to deal with all those the headaches. They don't want to deal with the, the tenants, termites, and toilets and all that junk. Um, and so, you know, we we don't deal with that. I don't do that either. But I deal with the property management company that does do that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's passive for the for the passive investors. It's 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 not passive for general partners like myself. It's, it's it can be a lot of work, uh, but it's it's lucrative uh, for all of us for the entire team. Um, and our deals are structured that way so that, um, you know, we're, we're incentivized to make the deal perform better for the past investors uh, and everyone, uh, you know, makes money together this way. Nice. Well, I have to say this has been uh, it's intriguing and um, it's one of the areas of uh, I know I, from an education perspective, have a lot to learn. Um, and so, you know, as we come to the come to the end of this and land this plane uh, on an aircraft carrier, not a piece of concrete for the air force folks that are listening. <laughs> um, if, um, if you had 
what, yeah, what are your top three books that you'd recommend and why? Okay. Um, I would say, uh, first off is the Cash Flow quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, so that's a lesser known one than rich dad, poor dad, but it's, it was the second one after that rich dad, poor dad was the one that first got me interested in, uh, in real estate in the first place. It was the first thing that opened my eyes to the possibility of something besides W2 employment, but Mm -hmm. it's also a lot of, uh, you know, theory and inspirational and, uh, the flow quadrant is the the first book he put out that is more practical or practically oriented. You know, it goes through the, the four different types of, of ways to earn income um, as an employee, as self-employed, uh, as investing, uh, or as a business owner. Um, and then his his tax guy, uh, Tom Wheelwright. Well, that gets to another book, which is Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright, uh, who is actually Robert Kiyosaki's tax advisor. Um, and he takes that same cash flow quadrant and then discusses uh, the reason the, the the different tax brackets that, that apply to them uh, so those different quadrants and the reasons why um, okay. and reasons why someone who is self-employed like an attorney uh, may can can pay a heck of a lot of taxes can pay if they're if they're you know earning good mm-hmm. incomes they can pay you know as a self-employed person up to you know 60 percent uh, of, of their their incomes as taxes uh, and why uh, it's small bu- you know or not as small but just business owners can and investors, can get to where legally uh, where they are um, paying zero in taxes because, or, or at least lower taxes because they are putting something back into the economy. They're, the, the, the IRS incentivizes them uh, to produce for this country um, by, so they get tax breaks for doing that. Mm. Um, and then the third book I would say is a, a book called uh, Who Not How. I forget the author's name right now. Uh, but it's a great book uh, that I love because the whole precept of it is instead of figuring out how to do something, especially for a, a small business owner, instead of mm-hmm. trying to figure out how how to do every little thing, focus on who you can partner with who knows those skills, who you can hire who knows those skills, who, who you can bring onto your team in some way, shape or form, um, who knows how to do what you don't know how to do. So you're focused on the who and not the how. Nice. I love all those. I love those books. I've read the Rich Dad Poor Dad, but I wasn't familiar. I I may have heard of the Cash Flow Quadrant, but I'll have to check that one out. Uh, it's and uh, it's it's interesting talking about taxes. You know, most of the folks that sit that haven't done their job in Washington D.C. sounds like we have another pending shutdown, of which my our fellow folks in the military won't get paid, unfortunately. That's but right. uh, they're still going to get paid. That's my um, ad for the moment. But you know, they yeah you know, they're, they're, yeah, that, that just irritates me to no end. Um, so I'll have to check those books out because I'd love to figure out how, um, you know, to, uh, reinvest back in the economy and, and avoid, not avoid, but cause I paved my fair share throughout my life and still do, but, uh, that sure. tax, that tax burden. So absolutely. Well, Greg, this has been insightful. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I will give you the last word. Uh, well, thank you, Dean. I appreciate it. Um, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to appear here. Uh, and, you know, I think I, I kind of went through all the main points I wanted to hit on, on the show. Um, I'll just say, 
uh, that if your if your uh, listeners want to reach out and learn more about what it is that I do, um, they can find me at my website, which is bluesky-equity.com. There's no e in blue; it's B-L-U-S-K-Y. But if they forget and put the e in there, it'll redirect anyway, so it's fine. Um, so bluesky-equity.com. In there is a there will be a pop up that, that'll pop up on the website that offers a free webinar that we have. Um, about 30 minutes long called How to Recession-Proof Your Retirement with Hands-Off Real Estate Investing. And that basically gives you the gist on how these projects work. It gives you uh, a few case studies and some of our past projects um, and tells a little bit more about us as well. Well, nice. Well, folks, you know where to check Greg out at. It's Blue Sky Part Equity Partners. Uh, we'll include that in the, in the show notes as well so that uh, folks know where to find you. And Again, thank you so much for coming on as a guest and greatly appreciate having you. Thanks a lot, Dean. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Thanks for listening. In order to help others, please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business.